Song before the lesson be number 577. 577, we found out. You are the Lord of creation and Lord of my life. Lord of to stand before you this uh, morning. I sent in a text the other day and said that uh, we would be talking about Jesus the Christ this morning. And that is the title of our sermon, The Majesty of Jesus the Christ. Uh, when you leave here today, remember Barney Fife in the Andy Griffin show, some of you do, he goes out, he slept through services, and he told the preacher, he says, good job, preacher, talking about sin. You can't go wrong with that. And uh, he hadn't mentioned sin, the preacher hadn't. <laughs> but, it's a cute little story, but when you walk out here today and somebody says, what did uh, you preach about or what did you hear this morning say? Well, all they talked about was Jesus. And folks, I tell you what, God would have it no other way. We're going to talk this morning about the majesty of Jesus. This is a good uplifting lesson. This is a, it's a fun lesson for people that are Christians and people that aren't Christians. Point to Jesus is what we need to do. I'm going to read some familiar uh, verses here from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without, without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now we're going to read that again, but we're going to put the Word, instead of uh, we're going to change, instead of saying the word word, we're going to say Jesus. Listen to it as, as, as it really is being said. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Folks, Jesus is not an afterthought. Jesus is not to be put over here on the second uh, level. Jesus is the reason we're here today. God will have it no other way. 
We talked about this in Bible class this morning. God will have it no other way. When you say a prayer and you say a prayer that don't go through Jesus, you're wasting your time. It won't make it to the seat. Jesus was there in the beginning. He is the reason that we are here today. And he is the reason we're going to heaven when our lives are over. We obey him. Genesis 3.15. Jesus got to go through some hard times. And Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve had sinned, that God says, this is what's going to happen. And I will put in me between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Satan, you're going to hurt Jesus and you're going to hurt him bad. But he's going to stomp your head. He is going to destroy you. And folks, when the tomb is found empty, that's when Satan knew, God knew what he was talking about. I tried my very best to get rid of Jesus, but I was not successful. Matthew chapter 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is some of the most beautiful verses, words that's ever been written. A virgin shall be with child, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God. With, while Jesus, God actually walked upon this earth for 33 and a half years. God, in person, in the person of Jesus. Now, this lesson as we continue, I've got several uh, pictures here. And now these are just pictures. These are man's depict, depictions oftentimes. Sometimes they're photographs. But they're man's depictions of Bible scenes, okay? And I do not claim they to be uh, scriptural or whatever. They may not be exactly right. If you see a picture of Jesus, it may not be exactly. It, we're not saying that's what Jesus looked like. I'm not trying to say that. I, but I do want you to think when I pull up this next slide, it'll be a picture. And I want you to think for just a second, what is that picture? And a couple of them will be hard, but most of them you'll get pretty easy. But then we'll talk about that, okay? But we're going to talk about today the majesty of Jesus. And we've already laid the groundwork that Jesus was here when the world was formed. Jesus would have to go through a difficult time with Satan. A very, extremely difficult time. Something none of the rest of us could have ever done. But then he would come. And he would be God in the flesh. This has been predicted Predicted, it's been, it's been prophesied since the beginning of time, since the world began. Okay, what do we see here? We see shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you in this day of the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Folks, this is, when you read the first few chapters of Luke, and you hear the story of Jesus coming and the story about this little baby's birth. Now, we love little babies. I don't know. I don't really know anybody don't love little babies. If you don't love little babies, there's maybe something really wrong with you that you need to have checked out closer. I've never seen a little baby that I did not like. Never seen a little baby I did not love. They're precious. People put their pictures of their little babies or grandchildren on Facebook. They're all pretty. They're all precious. But folks, here... It's little Jesus. The story of Jesus. He's here. The angel said he is here in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now this is a picture, but it depicts in this picture the baby Jesus lying in the manger. Luke chapter 2, 7, And she, Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. 
seemed like a pretty simple start for the Son of God. It seems kind of sad that he has to be born like this. The inn was full when he placed to go. And pregnant mothers don't always get to pick whenever the babies come. The babies come whenever they're ready. And Jesus did just exactly that. But what a beautiful scene. And I know his mother, they kept him as warm as they could and as comfortable as he could. And probably a, a quite cozy setting, just to tell you the truth. Uh, but this is Jesus, the Son of God. Now, just folks, he's just left heaven. There's a big difference in heaven and a manger in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. But that's the little baby Jesus in the flesh. Now, here's a picture. This uh, is a picture of the temple in Jerusalem. This would have been what it probably looked like. Of course, the actual temple's been destroyed, but this is what it probably would have looked like. We read in Luke chapter 2, 48, 49. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? We know the story. Jesus' parents went to pay their taxes. They went to worship. And they, uh, not to pay their taxes, but to, uh, to worship as to Jerusalem during the feast, to celebrate the feast as they were told to do. And so they're on, in a caravan on their way home. There's a bunch of family. Jesus is 12 years old. He's big enough to take care of himself. But after two or three days, they think, we don't know where our child is. We don't know where our child Jesus is. And so they go back, and they have to backtrack. And this is aggravating, and this is troubling, and they're worried. And they get there, and Jesus is talking to the lawyers and the scholars, the religious people of his day, in the temple. You saw how big the temple is. It's a pretty majestic place. Jesus is talking to these people, and these people are confounded by his answers. He is so smart. How does he know these things? He's just a little boy from Nazareth. How does he know these things? They had no idea that they were talking to the Son of God. Here is a picture. Guess that what that river is. That is the River Jordan. That is a beautiful picture. Uh, the waters in these desert-type areas are so beautiful because, now sometimes they're muddy, I understand that, but most times they're quite beautiful because you're living in places brown and it's lots of rocks and there's lots of things such as that. But then all of a sudden you see this refreshing, good water. So Jesus comes from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized of you. And you're coming to me. John, Jesus was 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And he goes to John and says, allow me to be baptized. And John, what? John knew who he was. John was six months older than him. John said, I'm not worthy to lace up his sandals. John always pointed to Jesus, but Jesus says, allow it to be so. And when he had been baptized in Luke chapter 3, Jesus came up immediately from the water. He came up immediately from the water, baptized. He was immersed. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Folks, God announced Jesus' birth to the, to the shepherds. And he had Jesus born, and Jesus was born and lying in a manger. 
Twelve years later, Jesus is reasoning with the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers in the temple. And he's more than holding his own. He's asking questions they don't even understand. And now Jesus is about to begin his public ministry. And he goes to be baptized. Not for the remission of sins because he didn't have any sins. But he says allow it to be so. He gave us an example of what he would want for us to do when time come down the road. Now this picture here is just a picture of Judea. Uh, there's a in common day, very rocky, scrubby type trees, uh, olive trees, and things such as that. Trees that you don't, we don't have. They don't have oaks and and uh, evergreens like we do here in, with the climate that we have here in Kentucky. But it's a, it's that's the world that Jesus lived in. This is also part of the world that Jesus lived in, a, a desert area, a desert area. And so we know the story about the desert. Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke 4, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted 40 days by the devil. Now, folks, when you're in the desert, you're kind of on your own, okay? There's not much to get excited about in the desert. Now, there's life there. Many times you can't even see it. There's scorpions. There's bugs. It's cold at night lots of times, and it's very, very hot in the day. There's not much water. And if you see trees growing, there's probably some water there close by some way. And those places, as you travel through those places, were called oases. It's, they were places that were very, very popular that maybe you could get a drink or something there or feed your uh, camels or your animals that you might be riding on. But Jesus, after being baptized, as soon as he's baptized, is immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by Satan. And folks, remember the temptations? Jesus went 40 days without eating. And Satan says, turn these rocks into bread. You can do that. And he could. Satan said, throw yourself down from the temple. God will take care of you. And then he says, look, see the whole world? I'll give it to you. And he could have. Satan is a prince of this world. He has that power. He could have given him the whole world. And Jesus answered him every single time with scriptures. And he finally... Satan left him for a season. He could not get to him. He tried physical through his, his hunger. He tried, he kind of dared him, jumped down off the temple. The Bible says, and you know what? Satan was right. He wouldn't let him dash his foot against a stone. Tempted him with bravado, jump. And then he tempted him with stuff. I'll give it all to you. Here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee. Isn't that beautiful? It's absolutely beautiful. This is where Jesus lived. This is where Jesus walked. This is where Jesus taught. This is where he taught his uh, disciples. This is where he found his, his apostles. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen here on the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful, beautiful place. But you can see how dry it is once you get away from the lake. Matthew 4, 23 through 25. And Jesus went about all Galilee, this whole area, teaching in the Jewish synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. He went to the synagogues. He went to the Jewish people. And he went all over the country teaching and preaching about the kingdom that was to come. Then his fame went about all throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Jordan. Folks, this is something special. This is something 
Unbelievable. This man walking about this countryside, preaching about the kingdom as to come, is healing everybody. Does it matter if they're paralyzed? That don't matter. What if they're an epileptic? That doesn't matter. What if they're, they're, they can't see? What if they can't talk? What if they can't hear? He healed them all. We know how he healed lepers. He, he healed everybody. And the crowds gathered, folks. This is the man they're looking for. This is Jesus. Now here's a group of people sitting down and they are sitting there and look like they're listening. And they are because we read in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We talked about this this morning in Matthew chapter 6 in Ben's class. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Go back and read those chapters from time to time. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. The greatest teacher that's ever taught in the history of the world preached to people and they understood it. Some of the things he said was a little, they had to think about, but that's exactly what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to think. He wanted them to, to understand what his purpose was. He's seeing the multitudes. He went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and this is just a brief synopsis of it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This kind of teaching is the greatest teaching that there is. It's never been duplicated. We echo it from the pulpit or from our Bible classes or as we read God's Word. We echo it, but Jesus said it. Jesus knows what He's talking about. He was there with God in the beginning. He was there in the manger. He was there in the temple. He was there to be baptized of John. He was there preaching. Preaching and teaching. Preaching is the greatest profession there is. It's the greatest profession. It's better than being a neurosurgeon. It's better than being president. It's the greatest profession there is. You are giving people the words of eternal life. Because presidencies, neurosurgeons, People of great aplomb, their lives come to an end. And when they leave, they leave behind a world of talent. They leave behind a world of good, maybe, that they've done. But they leave it behind. But when preachers preach the word of God and people accept it and allow it into their heart and they're obedient to that word, those people have the greatest gift of all. They have Christ in their life. And they have heaven in their future. They can't go wrong. Whether they die young, whether they die accidentally, tragically, or naturally, or whether they die old, they're going to heaven. There's nothing, nothing, nothing could be said wrong about going to heaven. And you will be in heaven eternally. Here's another picture. 
Here's people lined up in groups or sitting in groups. So Jesus commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and, gave, and, the, and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. We read about another time Jesus feeds 5,000. You know why he fed those people? The Bible says he had compassion upon them. That's what Jesus is all about was compassion. If he had not had compassion, he would not have left heaven for a manger in Bethlehem. He would not have left heaven for a place on the cross. Jesus is all about compassion. And folks, if you're going to be Christ-like, you have got to be compassionate. Amen? You have got to be compassionate. If you're not compassionate, you better work on that. You better get compassionate because you're not going to heaven if you aren't compassionate. If you think I'm going to heaven, I'm not worried about everybody else. I don't care about that poor fellow over there or this uh, sixth lady over here. I don't care about that. I'm interested in number one. If you are not compassionate, you will not be in heaven because you aren't Christ-like at all. You better get Christ-like. Here's a picture. What's this? Uh, I believe we already know, don't we? John 6, 17 through 20 is already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, rowing a boat three or four miles, if you've never done it, you should try it sometime. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus is walking on the water, folks. You cannot walk on the water. You cannot walk on the water. He called Peter to come to him and walk on the water. And Peter did for a few steps. And then he took his eyes off Jesus. That's another lesson for another time. But if you go out here to Cedar Creek Lake this afternoon, think, I'm going to walk across the lake on the water. You're going to get real wet, aren't you, Kelly? You're going to get real wet real quick. And you better learn to swim because you're going to, if you go very far, you're going to be needing to swim. Jesus walking on the water. That's physically impossible. Not for Jesus when you're the son of God. Here's another scene. And this is uh, Peter, James, and John. This is a fictitious, uh, it's just a drawing, of course, a painting, but it's a good picture. And we read in Matthew 17, 4 and 5, that Peter answered and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let's make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter's a good Jew. He knows about Moses. He knows about Elijah. He knows about what great prophets they were, what great leaders they were. He also recognizes Jesus. We'll make a tabernacle for you, for Moses, for Elijah. While he was still speaking, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. God is saying emphatically from heaven, Folks, it's not about Moses. It's not about Elijah. It's all about Jesus. We have to understand that. We're not at all interested in putting the courthouse, uh, Ten Commandments down here on the courthouse steps. Okay? Nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. Nothing on the courthouse steps. 
But folks, it's all about Jesus. The Ten Commandments have been nailed to the cross. It's all about Jesus and that's it. The voice from heaven says it. This is God from heaven. Hear ye Jesus. There is no one else to hear. Nobody else matters. We read the Old Testament. We study the Old Testament. We love the Old Testament. But everything in the Old Testament is doing what? Pointing to Jesus. Pointing to Jesus. Pointing to Jesus. We come into the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus comes on the scene. We see John the baptized. Pointing to Jesus. We see the apostles say, Come, we have found the Christ. They're pointing to Jesus. That is our job in 2020. What? What is our job? Point to Jesus. Point to Jesus, folks. God will have it no other way. Now this one you probably have trouble with. But it's a man and he's two sisters. And of course these are just actors. This is who? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus says, where have you laid him? They said to him, come and see. And the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. We talked about compassion a while ago, that you have to have compassion. Folks, when a friend of yours dies, there's nothing wrong with crying. When someone close to you dies, there's nothing wrong with you crying. Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, cried when he knew, Jesus, when he knew Lazarus was dead. And he already knew he was dead. But he, he, had, he saw the multitude. He saw his sisters. He loved Lazarus. And he cried. That is perfectly, 100% natural and normal. But Jesus, I thought you were tough. I thought you were a man. He was tough. And he was a man. But he cried when he knew his friend had died. And Jesus, you notice when he said before uh, uh, he, he fed the people, he gave thanks to the Father. Look what he says here. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because the people who are standing by said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died, Lazarus, came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Jesus can walk on the water, folks. He also can raise someone from the dead. Been dead three days. He wasn't just sick. He wasn't suffering from cardiac arrest. Lazarus was dead. Jesus said that. Our friend Lazarus is dead. Let's go to him. Sounded like a pretty powerful person to me. The most powerful soul that ever stepped a foot on the earth. What's this picture? This is a picture of our sword and savior. The compassionate one, the kind, the loving one, using a scourge made out of leather thongs, driving money changers from the Lord's temple. We saw the picture of the temple a while ago, a big place. People would go there, and they needed to make sacrifices under the old law. And they did do that. But oftentimes they didn't have the stuff they needed. They didn't have the turtle doves. They didn't have the animals maybe they needed to be able to offer sacrifices. So... It's like whenever you're going on a trip or something like that and you didn't take along enough snacks. Well, you stop at the convenience store. What do they do at the convenience store? They gouge you, okay? You could buy them at Walmart, buy potato chips for 69 cents. You go on the road, it costs 2.69. It's okay, that's, that's what they do. Uh, 
That's the way convenience stores stay in business. That's what the money changers were doing here, though. And they were doing it for all the wrong reasons. This is a bad thing to do. These people need something, and they need it so they can offer it to God, and you're gouging them? And Jesus did what? He went into the temple and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats who sold of those who sold doves. And he said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Can you imagine? What if you were here? What if I take the money home with me every Sunday that we come together? Can you imagine if I said, Well, now listen, it's, it's trouble for me to count this money. And it's trouble for me to get in my car and then drive to the bank on Mondays and put that money. It's kind of trouble. And I have to keep these records and things such as that. I think I'm going to keep about 10% just put in my pocket. Folks, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. This is not a den of thieves. That money is safe right there. It'll be safe tonight. Unless somebody breaks in my house and steals it. And it'll be safe tomorrow. And we're not taking a little off the top, are we, Kevin? We're not taking any off the top. If you give $10 to the church, the church gets $10. There is no carrying fee. There is no charge. This is not a den of thieves. And we're going to do our very, very best to make sure that every penny is accounted for, that you can see where it went to, and we're going to make sure that people are being fed, people being clothed, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is being taught to as many people as we possibly can. From what I can gather from my limited knowledge, we are helping preach and teach the gospel to every place in the world. That's a fact. With the different places that we are going, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached, thanks to some small part from the Stanford Church of Christ, to every available place in the world. That's quite impressive. That's quite impressive. As Daniel said a while ago, it's community. It's not just this little area here. It's a community. We have another picture. What is this picture? Jesus is standing before Pilate. Jimmy read just a few moments ago. Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus says, without the power that God gave you from above, you have no power at all. Jesus has the power right here, right now, to call 12 legions of angels. And the Assyrian folks, if they could come from back from the dead, could tell you that that's 285,000 of us got killed in one night by one angel. Now you could look it up in the book of King. 285,000 soldiers of Syria were killed in one night by one angel. Jesus has the power to call as many as 72,000 angels. I have a little bit of trouble with that. He could have called 10,000 angels song because I always think, I don't think you're saying enough. And there's nothing wrong with the song. There's nothing wrong with the song. He could have called 10,000. He could have called one. He could have called 10,000. He could have called maybe 72,000. He said 12 legions, which is as many as 72,000. Jesus has all the power in the universe right here, right now. And he's standing there humbly, listening to the sentence that this man is going to pass him. Then Pilate, when he called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, said to them, You brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. 
Pilate said he's not done anything wrong. Herod's not found him done anything wrong. We're going to chastise him and say, just keep it calm and hush and we'll let you go. The people's cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and be on our children. Well, I've got to release somebody who you want. Release Barabbas, a murderer, a robber. Release Barabbas. Anybody's better than Jesus. Crucify him. Crucify him. And the people got their way. We've seen pictures like this many times. There's the Son of God. Hanging on the cross. Every drop of blood is going to flow out of it. Every drop of blood. We could talk for the next two days about how bad he's treated. And never do it justice. I've been spit on a time or two in my life. I hate it. I hate it. Most people, if you spit on them, you're about ready to get a fight right then. About that, as soon as you spit on that person, they're probably going to smack you. And they probably should. If you smack somebody, you're probably going to get smacked back. If you curse somebody, you're probably going to get treated even worse. Jesus was treated horribly. Horribly. We can never overemphasize how much Jesus, how badly he was treated. It breaks my heart. And we sing the song, I hear my voice call out among the scoffers is one of the lines. I hear my voice call out among the scoffers. Folks, when you go out here and willfully and intentionally sin, you are scoffing at Jesus. You're making fun of Jesus. You're slapping Jesus. You're cursing Jesus. You're spitting on Jesus. Better think about it. Folks, I don't think we want to do that. If we have sin in our life, we got to get rid of it. We got to get rid of it. You come to the place called Calvary. There they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus, the man who has all the power in the universe in his hands, says what? Father, forgive me. For they don't know what they do. That's heartbreaking to me. The Son of God is nailed to a cross. And that's the things he gets. For all the people he healed, all the people he fed, he went about doing good. And that's the things. We're not going to leave him hanging on the cross. This is a picture of a tomb. And it looks like similar probably to what Jesus would have been buried in. Big stone there. And a lot of scholars think that this might have been the type of stone they used at that time. Don't know for sure. This is a stone. This is the tomb where Jesus was buried. Big stone. Don't just roll it away easy. Remember the ladies, as they're on their way to the tomb that morning, they thought, who will move the stone for us? How can we get in there and fix his body like it needs to be fixed? Because we put it in there very, very hurriedly on Friday night. And we didn't have time to, to really fool with it. Now after the Sabbath, the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. 
His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel Andrew said to him, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. The stones rolled back, the angel sitting on the stone, Don't be afraid, Jesus is not here. Jesus would be resurrected. He would be seen of the apostles. Every one of them were named that he would be seen of. He would be seen of more than 500 brethren at one time. He would eat fish and bread with his apostles on the Sea of Galilee later on for the 40 days that he would be resurrected here upon the earth before he ascended back into heaven. And then this picture here shows that extension. Now when they spoken these things, Jesus, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sights. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who seemed taken up from you into heaven will come in so like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Why stand you here looking? Well, I can see why they were standing there looking. Because here's Jesus talking to them. He just gave them the great commission. And then he is lifted into heaven. I can see why they were looking. We'd have been looking. But the angels said, don't worry. He's coming back. He's coming back in the exact same way. Except he won't come clear back to earth. We will gather and meet him in the sky. John 14, verse, the first few, chapter, first few verses of John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his apostles. And he's talking about leaving them. And he tells them, I'm leaving, but I will send the Comforter, the Holy Scripture, the Holy uh, uh, Spirit to you, the Holy Ghost. And Jesus says, John 14, 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. These are beautiful words. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God, which also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. You will confess Jesus is the Son of God. You will bow your knees to God. There's a lot of people think, I'm not doing that, but they will. Don't, don't deny yourself. You absolutely, positively will. Jesus wants everybody to go to heaven. No question. But we must do our part. We talked about Him going into heaven a while ago in Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. This is what He told His apostles. This is what He told you and me as disciples of His. This is what you have to do. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. We know that. We know that God says, this is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Everywhere, everybody. That's why I said a moment ago, I think we have a part in sending the gospel around the world. Thank goodness we do, because it's what Jesus said. Jesus said, send the gospel to everybody around the world. All nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them... In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now people will tell me you don't have to be baptized. That's not what Jesus said. I'm going to stick with Jesus. Because Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. Why do you do that? It's silly. We do it because Jesus said to do it. Because we want to do it. And we are going to follow Jesus. We're going to bow our knees. We're going to confess with our lips that He is the Son of God. We're going to do exactly what Jesus said. Because Jesus said it and God will have it no other way. Teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the world. Amen. Folks, 
If you die in the Lord, you will always be with the Lord all throughout eternity. For out eternity, throughout eternity, you're going to heaven. Satan can come and say, I'm going to blow this church building down. I'm going to burn everything up in Stanford. I died in the Lord. And I will be with God forever. Why? Because something you're special? No, not special at all. I'm hanging on to Jesus. He's taking me to heaven. God will t- allow that to happen. Jesus is all that matters. That's what this sermon has been about. Jesus is all that matters. Jesus says this, so he who rejects me and does not receive my words has one that would judge him. The word I have spoken will judge him in the lifestyle. Why are you all people insisting upon doing what the Bible says? Because there's, the Bible contains the words of Jesus. And that's what's going to judge us. It's not your preacher. It's not one of your elders. It's not your mama. It's not grandpa. It's going to be the words of Jesus that judge you in the last day. Nothing else. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he said, I came to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When you walk out of this building today, say, all in the world he talked about was Jesus. Amen. That's exactly what we want to talk about. We're not talking politics. We're not talking about social issues. We're not talking about this, that, or that. We are talking about Jesus because that is all that matters, folks. That is all that matters. If you reject the words of Jesus, there is no hope for you. You cannot be saved. You will not reject Jesus. God will not allow it. And this was a summation. This is the disciple, John, who testified of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there were also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. We, amen. We could talk about Jesus forever. We do talk about him all the time. We went to Mammoth Cave when Will was little one time. And we walked through the cave. And little Will, I three or four years old, Son, the whole time, kind of under his breath, but kind of where people could hear. Everybody talking about Jesus. Everybody talking about Jesus. I was as proud of him as I could be. Dad was as proud of him as could be. People that was on the tour with us was proud of him as they could be. He wouldn't bother anything. Everybody's talking about Jesus. And Will, I'm still proud of that. Honey. Folks, if you're talking about Jesus, you're, doing, you're, on, you're on the right path. You're on the right path. We love you. If there's anything whatsoever we need, you need, you can become a member of the Lord's church today. And then you can talk about Jesus with the joy in your heart. I'm going to heaven to be with my Lord and Savior forever. If anyone has any need whatsoever, please come as Ben Lee in their invitation song. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you walking?